is Advent just an extension of Christmas? Our text this morning is Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd open your word to us, your holy word, and stop our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, that we might hear your word and we might do your word, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Big Island of Hawaii in November is rain central. It rains all day and all night, nearly every single day. Drizzly rain followed by extremely heavy rain that sounded like it was going to cave the roof in to the house that we were staying at. It was raining so hard because it was the rainy season. And after a while, I had a longing for relief and to see some sunshine. The old world, and Israel in particular, also longed for relief. They'd grown weary and old in sin and death, and they longed for God to finally bring his long-promised Messiah and reconciliation. This morning we'll see that we still long during this season of Advent, as Isaiah 64 shows us, longing for Advent, longing for Advent. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. To Isaiah chapter 64, we're going to begin in verse 1. Now friends, this season of Advent is not Christmas. It's a distinct season in preparation for Christmas, preparation to remember the coming of the Christ, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what Advent is, and the word Advent means an arrival or a coming, and so the Advent is about remembering joyfully the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also longing for the final advent of the Christ as we walk through this world. Verse 1 of Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. These words are written by Isaiah the prophet. He lived through the reign of Hezekiah. There was a great revival in the days of Hezekiah. It was good times, but it would lead off to bad times. And it's often the case when God revives his people and flourishes and blesses them, sometimes they grow fat and happy. They get lazy. They bring on bad times. This revival would happen, but then we see that Isaiah was actually martyred under Hezekiah's wicked son, Manasseh. Isaiah sees dark clouds on the horizon. He sees that widespread apostasy in Judah is coming. That the people will be led astray and will disobey God's law. He sees that great enemies are arising on the horizon. Even though Assyria is the great empire of the day, he sees that the Babylonians are rising up and they're coming. But notice what he says here. He says he longs for God's enemies and the nations that they might see the Lord and they might tremble. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 gives us some idea of this. We've got fire here. We've got mountains quaking. And in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 in the New Testament, we see that the writer of Hebrews says, For our God is a consuming fire. Friends, don't you long? For God to reveal himself? Don't you long for the Lord to come and set things right? When people outside the church kill the saints, when they demolish their churches, 
when you see in China that people save up their money longing for a day to build a church and then they build a glorious church building and the Chinese government comes along and they demolish it and knock the walls down and imprison everyone. There's 360 million people who are our brethren this morning facing harsh persecution even up to death. In the last two years, almost 8,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. Don't you long for God to reveal himself when people in the church in the United States mock those who believe the Bible and call them outdated bigots? Don't you long. Verse 3, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. The Lord blessed Hezekiah. He was supposed to die. The prophet came to him and told them that he was going to die. But Isaiah begged the Lord, I mean Hezekiah begged the Lord that his life might be extended. You know, sometimes the things that we want are not in line with what's good and right. Sometimes we want something that's against the will of God. And sometimes God wrestles with us and gives us that thing. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful when hardship comes to see it oftentimes, the hand of God in our lives. Hezekiah didn't want to die, and he begged that his life would be extended. And the Lord gave him a longer life, but this led to things like foolishly preparing the Babylonians to come. During this extension of Hezekiah's life, he had Babylonian emissaries of this rising power, and he brought them in and showed them the glories of Israel and Jerusalem. He brought them into the treasury of Judah and showed him all the treasures of the people of God. And they will return. They will remember. And in decades to come, they will come and conquer the people of Judah. During this extension of Hezekiah's life, a son was born to him named Manasseh. He was Judah's most wicked king. He was the king over all the kingdoms of Israel during their united stage and during their divided stage, he reigned the longest. Over 50 years, it was a wicked, long reign. And he was born to Hezekiah during this extension of his life. He ends up worshiping false gods. Manasseh burned his own son as an offering to idols. He defiled the temple, and he had Isaiah sawn in two. May God advent, as he has in the past, is what Isaiah is saying. Like when he came down on the mountain in fire... When he came down and caused the mountain to quake, when his voice caused the earth to tremble, that all the world might see and know, and this is connected with the presence of fiery mountains, bushes on fire, brimstone coming from heaven, verse 4 in Isaiah 64, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Since the fall, God had come in temporary forms, various manifestations. Theologians call these theophanies, more properly, oftentimes likely Christophanies, appearances of God. We see that Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. We see that Manoah entertained a man that he thought was a man, fed him a meal thinking that he's a prophet. But at the end of the day, Jacob realized that he wrestled with God. At the end of the day, when the man jumped up into Manoah's fire and disappeared into heaven, they both realized they'd seen God, and they said they were undone and that they should die. Furthermore, we see some more of these 
various ways in which God came in temporary forms. The burning bush with which he spoke to Moses. The pillar of fire and smoke. The quaking mountains. The rock in the wilderness. And who was this? How did God manifest himself? Well, I believe the second person of the triune God, the one who would ultimately come and lock himself in human flesh, become a real man, was coming provisionally in the days of old. But this verse, you may notice, sounds familiar. It's connected to the advent of the living God. These words here in Isaiah 64 are picked up again in the New Testament. We see that the Apostle Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, in an interesting way. Now notice what Isaiah says. No one has heard or perceived by ear. No one has seen a God besides you. He's speaking in those days in which Israel is about to prepare to go into exile. And he says those words. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He interconnects what we're going to see next with the coming of the Christ and the crucifixion of the one who advented among men. Verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Ultimately, what Isaiah is talking about here in verse in chapter 64 is the coming, the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. The folding of the longing of Isaiah is the advent of Christ, God, come in flesh to be seen, to be touched, to relate to, to walk among us. Verse 5 of Isaiah 64. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you and your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved. God meets and remembers those who joyfully follow after him. But Israel has long been in sin. And the righteous see the sins of the people around them. Long in sin shall they be saved. Verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. This is the lament of Israel's faithful before the exile, but in reality, it's the state of humanity since the fall. Unclean, diseased and symbolically dead, and we cannot draw near to God. You see this all over the place, and that's the point of cleansing oneself. You see this when someone touches a body, a dead body. They have to cleanse with the ash of the red heifer and with streams of living water because they become symbolically dead. They cannot come into the presence of God. God doesn't let the dead come into his presence. And that's why lepers and people with various afflictions are kept away from the house of God because they are symbolically dead they are unclean. They cannot draw near to God. Our best, best works, we're told by Isaiah, are filthy garments. Filthy garments that need to be destroyed. You see that motif all over the Bible. In the Old Testament, for example, in the days of Jacob, when they murdered the men of Shechem, and now they're worried that they're going to be destroyed by the tribes around them, and God comes and renews his covenant with Jacob. 
And then Jacob tells his family, take off your old garments and put on new ones. And they take the old garments and they bury them under a tree. When the priest takes his office, he has to take off his old garment and put on a new garment. And that's the point that Jesus is making all over the New Testament with his stories about weddings. Oftentimes in the wedding feast, you have to have the right clothes to be admitted. And people come in the stories of Jesus to these wedding feasts, and they have on the wrong garments. They have on polluted garments. And so they're not permitted to come to the feast, but rather are cast into outer darkness. And that's why the scriptures pick up this theme over and over again. Put off the old. Put on the new. Take off the filthy garment. Put on the clean garment because we are sinners. We fade as sinners. Lighter than the wind. And death makes us all small and inconsequential. Think about all the billions and millions of people who've walked through this earth. They lived... They died. Some of them were great in their own time, but nobody remembers their name after a hundred years. And what about us? How famous and how powerful are we? We're the little people. A hundred years from now, your family photos may be in a Goodwill store, and people will use it for interior decoration, but nobody will know who you were. Only a handful in this age in which we walk will be remembered. We're so small. We're lighter than the wind. Where is Caesar? Where is Genghis Khan? Where is Napoleon today? They're all in the same place that everyone ends up. A piece of ground about six foot long and two foot wide. Back to verse 7. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Notice, it is the prophet who speaks for the holy ones of Israel. They know and acknowledge their sin in a crooked generation. This lament for Advent, the Advent of the Lord, will be carried on through the exile. When will you show your to us again, O Lord? When will you come and and signs? When will you come and deliver your people, O Lord? Verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our Father We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand, the faithful cry for the advent of the Lord, because we are his children and long for his favor. The faithful acknowledge that we are but clay, and God is the potter, and we are so small. We think we're so big. We long for power, wealth. We want to be famous influencers on TikTok. We want to become president of the United States. We want to become a famous pundit that everybody knows. We want to move history with our hands. And yet God is in control. God's the potter. We're the clay. God's moving history however he will. He moves the hands of kings. We are so small. Verse 9, be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. The longing before the first advent is remember your people and take away our sin. Make us clean. Give us a new day, O Lord. Manasseh was a wicked king, but so are our enemies. The world, the devil, and our flesh. 
which deceives us and causes us to sin. And even though we stand between the advents, don't you long? Don't you long? They longed in the old covenant. But don't you long for the day when the Lord will set everything right? Don't you long for the day when you'd be set free from this flesh, that it'll be glorified and renewed body and spirit, always longing to serve the Lord, filled with joy, no tears and lament. Don't you long, brethren. Advent is about remembering that the Lord did remember his people and he sent his son to take away their sins. In the first Advent, God himself came down and set things right. God himself came down and established the kingdom. God himself came down and is preparing the way for the final advent. Took on flesh and became a real man, suffered, died, rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Can I hear an amen to that? But advent is also about longing for the final advent. When sin and death will finally be removed and the world will be set completely in order and righteousness and justice will reign. There's a cold crispness starting to be noticeable in the air. The lots are all switched over from pumpkins to Christmas trees. Radio stations are playing Christmas songs nonstop, some of them completely awful. <laughs> and the inventory is all holiday-oriented in all the stores. Christmas is coming. And in a year like this, there's much longing in the air. But before we get to Christmas, we must pass through Advent, the season where we joyfully look back upon the first Advent of the Christ. But Advent is also a season of longing, hence the color purple, the color of penitence, because the world is still fallen, the redemption and restoration still in process, the nation still not fully converted. So while the rest of Christians run straight to Christmas, Remember the historic practice of the church and stop with mature and realistic appraisal in the midst of your busy lives and engage in longing for Advent. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless us to be people of deliberation and thought. Help us in the midst of this season where everything's oriented around Christmas trees and gifts, we pray that you would help us to remember the first advent of your son and to long for the final advent of your son, that we might be filled with joy this Christmas and help us to spread this season amongst our neighbors and our friends and even strangers. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.